I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. I don't know about you, but when we talk about office buildings, I tend to think of brick and mortar or skyscrapers made of steel and glass. But on this episode, we've got something else in mind. In a conversation about sustainability and construction, we'll center on an old school concept that's a new frontier in building development these days. One word, timber. They're getting this old school feel that evokes creative mentality, a richness, a feel of space and ability to use a space differently, but they're getting it with this new technology. That's Laura Hines-Pierce, Senior Managing Director in the Office of the CEO at Hines, a privately owned real estate investment management and development firm headquartered in Houston. Hines has a presence in 27 countries and an industry-leading commitment to sustainability. These buildings are far more environmentally sustainable than any other building typology in the world. And that's Steve Luthman, a Hines Senior Managing Director who sits among the steel and glass of downtown Chicago. Steve works on a variety of the firm's financing, development, and management activities in the U.S. and Canada, and was part of the team that initiated its move into timber. And to help us put all of this into context, we're also joined by CBRE's Global President of Property Management, Emma Buckland. Emma is responsible for a portfolio with some 25,000 assets in 40 countries around the world, a total of 2.7 billion square feet of property. As tenants become more demanding in expecting more from us around sustainability and sustainability disclosure and reporting in the way that we manage assets, um, I definitely think those kinds of technologies are, are certainly increasing and are gonna continue to be really, really important for us. We'll take a wide-ranging view on construction and development trends in the office sector today, with a particular interest in the unusual, perhaps emerging, use of timber. We'll talk about everything from design and what it's like to visit a building made of wood for the first time, the impact of timber on ESG and the bottom line. Coming up, into the wood we go. Construction and timber, that's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to the Weekly Take, and this week we are going to be talking about timber and construction and in an extension of our ESG series that we started a couple of weeks ago. In honor of today's episode, I am taping this for the very first time outdoors, and I'm feeling very much timber today. <laughs> so let's start big picture. The last 14 months where our worldviews have certainly changed, and I think that the focus on ESG plus R is definitely one of those areas, but... Uh, I don't want to pre- prejudice the answer. Laura, big picture, how has your view of real estate in the world changed in the last 14 months? Yeah, um, you know, it, the last 14 months, I think, have been, you know, absolutely a roller coaster for everyone. But, you know, in some ways, what's been interesting, I think, for us is that it really has just accelerated trends that I think were already underway. So one, you know, in terms of technology and the use of technology and how we work and how we operate buildings, how we connect with our tenants. This has really put some hyperspeed behind that. And, you know, just seeing the the industry of prop tech moving from a five to seven billion dollar industry to now, I think, around 30 billion dollars a year going into prop tech a year. That's one aspect. I think the flexibility that our tenants are asking for is obviously being impacted by everything we've gone through over the last year. 
I think that, you know, the convergence of different types of spaces and uses and working and interacting with retail and, you know, logistics differently. And then lastly, on the topic that, you know, I think we'll circle around quite a bit today, ESG has just been brought quite a bit more into the forefront. You know, the E has always been probably the, the, the star of that concept, and that continues to be, you know, a big push. But you know, I think everything that we've seen over the last year in terms of social justice and how we as an industry can be interacting with that has, again, I think been accelerated. I'd agree with everything Laura said. And I think really for us in property management, the pandemic has brought property management kind of front and center and sort of visible in a way that maybe previously it wasn't so visible. So just to talk to technology, I think there's probably two big areas of focus that have come up for us really predominantly in the last 12 months. The first has definitely been uh, tenant engagement tech. So we've got our own product, which we call uh, Hosty Berry Host, which is a tenant engagement app, which just allows us to be able to create community and connect to tenants, whether they're in the office, whether they're at home, or whether they're working in some kind of a hybrid. And we've seen real success with that in terms of landlords and, and tenants being able to really connect and create some safety and security during what has been a very uncertain time. And I think the other big place we're seeing a lot of technology, um, increasingly to Laura's point around ESG, is really smart building technologies and metering technologies in the ESG landscape. So as tenants become more demanding in expecting more from us around sustainability and sustainability disclosure and reporting in the way that we manage assets, um, I definitely think those kinds of technologies are are certainly increasing and are going to continue to be really, really important for us. It does feel like uh, we've come through that curve and it really feels like the world is starting to present itself and it's starting to land. And, I, and I'm sure your, your tenant rep team would bear this out, that you know, highly differentiated office, office space that provides amenities, it provides the wellness attributes, it provides the flexibility, it provides the technology that Emma was just speaking of. It also provides the emotional connections that people are seeking. We, we believe and we think that the data is really starting to bear it out that that differentiated office is going to be a winner um, and that the commodity office space is really going to suffer. We are starting to see this where trophy office, if you look across the United States, trophy absorption is up and the, all the other office classes are down. So overall, we expect to see and I expect to see that we might see a flattening or even a downward sloping demand trend line in office nationally, but in it, there's going to be dramatic winners and dramatic losers. And so as we think about the, the future and the future of office, it's really about how do we play in that differentiated office space that Heinz has played in for the last five decades, and how do we continue to accelerate our leadership position in that differentiated office space in order to really address what our customers need? I would just add to that, you know, I think that what that really does, I think for us in the real estate industry is shift the dynamic to an incredibly client-centric perspective. And, you know, what that client is needing and wanting for their space and for productivity and culture building and, you know, what they're demanding on an ESG front becomes significantly more important for us as landlords, as owners, as property managers, as developers, etc. Let's get right down to the weeds of timber construction. Laura, from a client perspective, from a partner's perspective, from tenants, how do they react to this old school technology in the 21st century? You know, I think that they're getting 
this old school feel that evokes a creative mentality, a richness, a feel of space and ability to use a space differently, but they're getting it with this new technology and with all of the amenities and comforts of a brand new building and all of the technology that comes with it. And so to me, that intersection is exactly what appeals to both tenants and to our investors. Steve, let me turn to you now to a very specific question that some of our listeners are thinking about, which is to build a timber building, you got to cut down trees. Is that environmentally friendly? Yeah. So in North America, we grow enough timber to build one of these seven-story buildings every 20 minutes. And so these are young trees that are easily replaced. And so we're not impacting at all the forest volumes that we have in North America through the construction of these buildings. And in fact, um, these buildings are far more environmentally sustainable than any other building typology in the world. And in fact, if we think about the carbon sequestration of these buildings, about 3,600 metric tons of carbon is sequestered in the wood that we use to build these buildings. And, and to make that more simple, that's the equivalent of taking about a thousand cars off the road permanently. And so that plus the carbon avoidance that we get from not building with steel or concrete is another 1,400 metric tons. And so that's another 500 cars. And so we really are doing a great job of reducing the embodied carbon of our built environment through the use of these buildings. Emma, you manage 2.7 billion square feet of properties around the world. Uh, how common is this? Uh, any unique property management uh, issues you have to deal with uh, for this type of asset? I'm going to be honest, Spencer. I've never been in one of these beautiful buildings, although I'm desperate to go now, having heard everything we've just heard about it. But maybe we could ask Steve if there's any particular things that are different from a management perspective. Nothing springs to mind, but I'd love to hear from, from you, Steve. There's no unique attributes. One thing that I will say that's really interesting about these buildings is the way that people engage with them. Um, people that walk through these buildings for their first times, in, they touch the building, they touch the columns, they, they engage tactically with the wood, and they smell different. These buildings smell like an old cabin. And I think there's something biophilic about that for people in terms of how they engage with it. So your question about you know property management, maybe you're cleaning some fingerprints off of the columns because I've never once been on a tour of any of our T3 buildings with anyone who hasn't touched it. And that's a really interesting phenomenon when you think about how people engage with office buildings. They generally don't engage with them. Uh, but with these timber buildings, they actually touch them. Well, I think it speaks to something that we've been talking about for, for years in commercial real estate in a slightly different context. We always say credit versus cool uh, when you're picking a tenant. Uh, and it was about the, the type of tenant you had in your building, not the physical building itself. But I think what you're saying here, Steve, it is the physical building itself is not just cool, but it elicits that same emotional reaction. Would you agree? Yes, I agree. But you don't have to sacrifice credit either. In our buildings, we've been lucky to, to sign leases with some of the greatest credits in the world. And um, even those great, big, large growing companies see the value of locating in these differentiated office buildings. I'm glad you used the term differentiated office rather than using the term class A office because differentiated, I think, is the right term today. And there's nothing more differentiated, I think, 
than not just um, having great amenities uh, in the building, but the physical construction of it itself. So I think there's a real visionary in uh, what Heinz has been doing with timber. Steve, why don't you give us the big picture? What are you doing on timber construction for office? Well, if you've ever been to the old brick and timber warehouse buildings, you know, south of Market in San Francisco or Fulton Market in Chicago or Brooklyn or King West in Toronto, you, you know the look and feel of beautiful, authentic, creative brick and timber buildings that have been repurposed from their original uses into uh, office buildings or residential buildings. But they retain that amazing authentic character, you know, the structure, the brick, the timber beams, the bow truss roofs, they, those are all the main events of these buildings. Back in 2013, we started to see tremendous customer demand for these buildings. The absorption statistics were incredible, but what we also saw was that the retention rates were substantially lower for these buildings. And when we dug in, we realized that the authentic character, the soul of these buildings attracted the tenants. But the poor sound attenuation and the inconsistent natural light and the inferior elevators, all of those deficiencies were pushing tenant customers out of these buildings at the end of their lease terms. Those two sort of competing dynamics led our team in Minneapolis, led by my partner, Bob Pfefferly, to ask ourselves, you know, could we build a building with all of the aesthetic characteristics of these fantastic old brick and timber buildings? but put all of the next generation systems, you know, the MEP technology, the elevators, even all the modern tech that Emma's been describing that we put into our next generation skyscrapers, could we take all that technology and put it in a wrapper that looked authentic and old? Essentially, could we build a brand new old building? And that was kind of the start. So we coined them T3. We've built two complete so far, one in Minneapolis, one in Atlanta. Um, they are six to seven story buildings. Um, the structures are completely made of uh, what's called mass timber. It's really the modern form of timber that looks just like ancient old growth timbers used a hundred years ago, but are now harvested in a sustainable fashion. And they're engineered versus cutting down old growth. We've completed two and we have two more that are under construction as we speak. And we have about 16 others that are in various forms of pre-development all around the United States, North America, and there's even three or four that are overseas. You said that these are seven-story skyscrapers. How much sky can you scrape today with a timber building? How tall can you go? That's number one. And number two, I want to go right to a point that I think there's still a misconception about fire risk that some people will say about these buildings. Why don't you address both of those head on? These would not ever be called skyscrapers in the construct of, of Heinz. These would be called street scrapers. They're six or seven stories tall by code. Um, generally, we could only go 85 feet. And that is changing a little bit right now with some of the IBC, the International Building Code changes. But generally in North America, we think of them as 85 feet tall. So by no means skyscrapers. The three questions people always ask, Spencer, you asked one of them, which is fire. People ask about termites and they ask about cost. How much does it cost? Um, so in terms of fire, you know, these buildings are not what you think of as wood. You might think of as what we, you know, in the industry call stick built apartment buildings. These are massive logs. And the way I like to think about, you know, the fire is if you were on the beach and you were having a, a bonfire with your family, you would start that bonfire with kindling. You would not start it with a giant log. Well, these buildings are made out of giant logs. They're fully sprinkled buildings. They're sprinkled to modern you know, fire codes. 
So if there was a fire event, these massive logs would char and all the studies are showing that these mass timber buildings actually perform better in a fire event than steel buildings would. Because instead of failing, the outer layer of the timber would actually char instead of failing. So from a fire performance standpoint, there's been just a rigorous amount of testing that's been done all over the world about how mass timber buildings perform. We've obviously done a ton of studying as well with our structural engineers, and, and we feel very confident in the safety mechanisms that are in place for these buildings. And then you mentioned the two other issues. Uh, termites, I guess, is secondary, but, pr but primarily is cost. What I really appreciated about your initial comments there, Steve, is your, your candor that in the beginning people went in there because they were aesthetically pleasing, but they, they weren't modern enough, so you were losing them. Uh, but I would also suggest that maybe the cost issue hasn't been fully vetted out either yet, but people are willing to go for it anyway. What's your point of view there, Steve? So just to be clear, Spencer, so when I was talking about people going in, it was on the old, you know, the hundred-year-old buildings that have been repurposed to office space. They were never purpose-built for modern office tenancy. And now with T3, that's what we're solving. We're basically putting all of our modern technology into a mass timber building so they act like class AAA machines. They're set up for the modern office tenant needs. But in terms of the cost, if you just were to compare a mass timber building with a concrete or steel building, um, generally you would find that the construction costs alone for mass timber versus concrete or steel would generally be about 10% higher for mass timber, okay? That's just construction costs. But then when you start to factor in all of the other project costs, when you factor in uh, G&A costs, you factor in general conditions costs, you factor in interest meters, all of the time-weighted costs associated with building a building, those are far better in timber buildings because you build them faster. And so overall, net-net, we believe that mass timber buildings are equivalent in cost. And in fact, with the recent run-up in steel prices, mass timber may be actually more affordable than building with steel. And the last thing I'll, I'll raise is, is lumber pricing has gone through the roof. And we all know that it's gone up 300% since the, uh, the pandemic. But lumber is different than mass timber. And the actual commodity itself, the log prices, have not increased. They've stayed flat basically for the last decade. It's the finished product and the lumber that goes into home building or goes into stick-built multifamily, that's very different than the mass timber that we build our office buildings with. We just recently priced a building and the overall cost of the structure from pre-pandemic to now has only gone up 6% compared to what we're seeing in our multifamily buildings. The other really interesting thing to me on you know, the cost side is, is in the TI component. Um, you know, you come into, you know, a steel building and a tenant coming in, it's really core and shell that they're coming into. They have a lot of build out and, and money that has to go in on the TI side. When you think about our timber product, uh, tenant coming in there, they're coming into a much more finished space because you've got these beautiful concrete floors, beautiful timber finished ceilings. And the TI that needs to go into those spaces from a tenant perspective and then ultimately, therefore, a, you know, an owner perspective is much, much lower. And so that's a really, I think, an interesting component to the cost equation as well. So we, we may have comparable construction costs of the core and shell, but TIs may be lower. 
because it's beautiful to look at a wood beam, uh, to put it in very basic terms, but I think that that's aesthetically true. So Emma, let's turn to you for just a moment. And one of the things I re we're having a timber episode is not just because it's cool, it's innovative, it's new. It also expands the conversation about what is the carbon footprint of a building, not just the four walls, but the sourcing of the goods to build the building, where they come from, and 2.7 billion square feet. I don't know if you know off the top of the head how many trucks of uh, maintenance workers we have, but I'm sure it's in the tens of thousands. And that is yet another piece of our footprint. So Emma, how do you look at it as the global leader of the largest property management organization in the world? Not just within the four walls, but outside of them. Yeah, we're definitely looking exactly as you say, Spencer, at the end-to-end -end supply chain. And so something important that CBRE as a group has recently committed to is a science-based target around our carbon emissions. And so what that means for property management is we're going to reduce our emissions by 67% by 2035. To make that kind of a lift, we are going to need to look at all of our activity, not simply the traditional ESG elements that we might have been focused on in the past. So absolutely to your point, transportation is a part of it. So both transportation of our own, our own fleet, as you say, so we've committed to transitioning to electric vehicles right around the world. And that's beginning across all of our organizations. So the GWS business, as well as property management. But we're also obviously looking at transportation as it impacts the supply of all of the other goods that we might be procuring in a given building. And I think increasingly, as we start to have ESG targets and conversations with clients, we will all be looking at the combined impact of the supply chain and the tenant activity, as well as the decisions the landlord is making in totality to really understand how we can make the, the greatest impact um, from, from the sum of the parts. Laura, I would love to get a, a little bit more of a global perspective. How do you see some of these issues differently from perhaps in the United States versus, say, Europe, which is an environment which seems to be more environmentally friendly? Sure. You know, I think the fact that we are a global firm has really, in some ways, helped us on the topic of ESG because, as you say, you know, different parts of the world are moving at different speeds. And I think it helps to push us in, in the right way and really take the best of what's happening globally. A lot of our European investors are laser focused on ESG, you know, in terms of what our funds are doing, I think what particular assets are doing. And that's been a great partnership for us working with some of those investors. You know, some of our European funds have really led the way on our thinking about ESG strategies and thinking about ESG from a portfolio standpoint. So our European core fund has really been a leader on that front. And then generally, I think European regulations are more ESG forward. And so we've been able to really push the envelope in our products in that context. So then being able to take our learning from what's happening there and use it more broadly globally, I think has been a great opportunity. Steve, let's turn to the data question, if I could, for just a moment with you. And not, not to challenge your supposition that this is a product that the, te the tenants want. I think that's, that's a given. We've seen that the tenants want it. But what data can you point to, if any, that can support the fact that you have better absorption, that can support the fact that you might get better rents with this, what you call, differentiated product? Yeah, I mean, if we just look at the performance of our timber office buildings, you know, when we pro forma them, we were thinking that the rents would be basically right between the traditional creative office building and the class AA office building. We'd be right in the middle. And what we found in both Minneapolis and Atlanta is that our rents are 
the very, very top of market. So we're getting the same rents as the top of the building, best traditional uh, class AA building in the city. So the rental rate performance has been proven. The absorption, um, you, you know, these buildings, once tenants were able to see them, they filled up rapidly. We've seen tremendous pickup once people have been able to touch and feel and see them. And then the last thing, I guess, is the capital markets performance. We sold our first project, um, T3 Minneapolis, um, and we sold it for a 375 cap, which, as you may know, Spencer, 375 caps are not available in Minneapolis. That market would generally be a six on the on the very top end. And so we're seeing demand from tenants, rental rate performance, absorption, and cap market performance. I think we've seen the full life cycle, and it's given our entire organization and our investor base confidence to do this. Well, you know, the 375 cap rate may not be available in Minneapolis normally, but they have this uh, hamburger invention up there that I don't know if you ever had the Juicy Lucy, which is a burger where they put <laughs> the cheese inside the burger. So with that type of innovation, maybe the 375 cap isn't quite so out of, uh, out of hand. <laughs> Sounds like a tenant we need in one of our buildings in Minneapolis, Steve. Absolutely. I had, I had my first uh, one of those burgers at the airport and doggone it. I want the real thing downtown. So let's talk now about another one of the, uh, the T's. I know we, we touched on the three T's and we're so focused on timber, but the other two T's are technology and then transportation. And we talked a lot about uh, technology. Let's go back to the transportation. When I spoke to Emma about transportation, we were talking about the trucks that we use to service our buildings. Steve or Laura, what do you mean by the third T, transportation, in the context of your three T approach? Well, we think that uh, diversity in the way that people commute is critically important to the future. Um, it's not just public transportation. It is people are going to bike, people are going to run, people are going to walk, people are going to drive, people are going to take the train, they're going to take bus rapid transit. We need to find locations that enable a diversity of commuting patterns. That's the key for the future. And that's what we're going to start to see more and more of. And it's not just locating on the subway stops. It's locating in areas that enable a diversity. And so that's key for us. And that's paramount for this thesis is to drive demand. Let's locate these buildings in areas that have diversity in transportation optionality. That's why the T is there for us in T3. Let me expand the conversation a little bit. I think when we talk about ESG plus R or timber specifically, we're largely thinking with our office hat. But what are you seeing in some of the other asset classes that Heinz owns, builds, manages uh, in terms of some of these ESG plus R initiatives? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's a broad question. And, and part of the reason I think a lot of the focus has been on office is because I think office is one of the biggest contributors from you know a carbon footprint standpoint. You know, when you think about carbon, you think about carbon reduction, there's sort of two buckets where that falls into. There's operational carbon, and then there's the embodied carbon within the physical building itself, the materials that were used to build it, transporting those materials to the site, the manufacturing of those materials, et cetera. Um, and when you think about the, the world of real estate, the biggest footprint, the biggest offenders, if you will, are office buildings. And we are looking at that really across our entire portfolio. The operational carbon, I think, is something that um, we've been focused on for a really long time. It really is part of our DNA, given my grandfather was a mechanical engineer. He really, when he started 
designing and developing buildings really came in with a focus on energy efficiency um, because it makes good business sense as well as, you know, the um, minimizing an impact on the environment. And so that's really been part of our DNA going all the way back to the beginning. The major changes in operational carbon will come as the energy grid really starts to move to renewable energy. And that's really where a lot of the impact will happen. You know, we will continue to work on operational efficiency within the buildings. And that really is across all of our asset classes. But then the embodied carbon, I think, is really where the real estate industry can make a difference. At the beginning of today's conversation, Laura talked about acceleration of trend, uh, but also what's coming next? Because uh, it's funny, it's like back to the future uh, with lumber. What's next is what was in the past. But what about other types of construction? What about modular? So flex and modular, or what else comes next in the construction? Well, I think modular is, uh, there's been a lot of people who have tried modular over the last you know, 30 years. And modular has always been the, the holy grail. Um, and I think now the investments of firms like Katera and Sidewalk Labs and what they're doing in terms of modular, it might actually break through uh, this time, and especially on product types that are a little bit simpler. Um, if we think about garden style apartments, or even if we think about um, industrial buildings, you know, there's a simplicity element of that that enables modular to be the right solution. So I'm optimistic on modular. Frankly, you know, I think Heinz and this industry, we have an opportunity on affordable housing in all of our urban markets to really think about how modular can help that uh, because Cost is cost is cost. And if modular can help reduce the cost, I think we can get to a more affordable outcome for our cities. In terms of flex, I'm excited for flex. And one thing that your surveys show and our surveys show is flex is the number one amenity that tenants want. I think a relationship with their property manager and that connection to their partner in the in the building, and Emma Emma knows that, that's, that's maybe number two, but flex is number one. And I think especially coming out of pandemic where a lot of tenant customers are really thinking about what is the future for me, I think flex plays a really important role in that because it's going to enable them to maybe take some risks and try some different things, and that flex will be there for them. I completely agree with Steve. And I think really, as a firm, believe in the opportunity that Flex provides to really create uh, an amenity for our tenants. One of the challenges with the way that Flex was approached previously was the lease model. When Flex providers really were sort of unique uh, tenants in the building, they weren't integrated with the services of that building and the offering that that building provided to the tenants within the space. We believe the shift is moving more towards a, a management agreement model where the landlord, the property manager is much more integrated with the operations of a flexible space coordinated on offerings around all the things that can come with, with flex space like conference space and just true sort of usable space that you're not paying for on a day-to-day -day basis in your rented space. Heinz has been uh, pushing into this with Heinz Squared, and which is our flex offering that we've really um, launched in the last year and a half. And so we'll be pushing into that more broadly in our portfolio. 
exactly to the points that, that Laura and Steve have just made. We definitely see a space as a service, if you like, as an amenity that is increasingly important in uh, all of the assets, office assets that we manage and, and a demand of both our tenants and our landlords increasingly. Um, just to refer back to a point Steve made, we, we did our future of the office survey last September and actually 82% um, of respondents told us that that was what they wanted. So certainly the, the integration of the overall management of the asset on a day-to-day basis, including all of the front of house and all of the operations, alongside a flex provider as a part of an amenity offering is, I think, a really a naturally very sort of holistic fit and is a sort of natural expansion in terms of how we think about um, flexible office as one of the many things that we can help our clients do in, in property management. Absolutely. And, the, and I think property management is at the point of sale with tenants more than probably anybody else. You're the most visible. And so clearly you're going to be instrumental in the growth of that sector. Uh, one other amenity I hear a lot about uh, while we talk about amenities is just outdoor space itself. Uh, actually, in New York City, that came in as the number one amenity pre-pandemic. I suspect that's going to uh, only increase now. Uh, what's your point of view on that? We're actually seeing all sorts of really interesting conversions of, you know, rooftops into gardens and uh, all kinds of um, unusual things. So I think seeing organisations take Wi-Fi outside so that we can have people working in the open air in a way that they might not have done before, putting things like picnic tables, outdoor desks, patios, as I said, on roofs, those types of things I think are, are, we're seeing more and more. Basically, any creative solution to create some outdoor, even if it didn't exist before, I think is increasingly important. So we're definitely seeing that trend, particularly in our urban locations where um, true kind of garden or or landscaping is maybe a bit of a premium or or hasn't been designed in. That's certainly here to stay, I think, in terms of not just the pandemic conversation, but also the wider emphasis on well buildings, on wellness and on tenant health as a part of that productivity conversation in terms of what the office offers. With that, let's get final thoughts. Uh, Looking in our crystal ball five years from now, looking back on uh, where we are today, where do we see not just the office space generally, but specifically uh, in some of the innovations, the three T's uh, that you're spearheading? Uh, Steve, let's start with you. Yeah, thank you, Spencer. I'm I'm really hopeful. I think, you know, notwithstanding some difficulties we've had in polling over the last couple of cycles in the United States, I think what we've started to see in the polls is that Americans are more concerned with climate change than ever before. Um, and I believe that it's starting to be spoken about in more hopeful tones as well. And it remains probably the greatest existential crisis affecting the entire planet. But we can also think of it in terms of what we can do to improve and to participate in change. And I believe that over the next five years, we're going to see a tremendous uh, evolution and growth in the timber construction space simply because of the embodied carbon uh, and the carbon sequestration attributes of these buildings. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful uh, about the small step that these timber buildings can help in solving a major global climate uh, issue that we're all facing. My hope is that the real estate industry really takes some ownership and, and leadership on that front. I think our tenants, our investors continuing to push us is really important. Um, we, as a firm, as we've thought about our ESG strategy and where we've really gotten to is that we really want to help lead the industry, help to share information, to um, bring others along. I think especially as we think about you know, embodied carbon and operational carbon, you know, sharing best practices, sharing ways to, to really make reductions there because 
as Steve said, I think this is such a critical issue for our time. I think it's only going to become more and more critical. As someone who's based in Houston, I've felt the effects of climate change. And I think that um, we all have a responsibility to help lead the industry and bring others along. That's my hope that that will continue in that direction. And um, certainly we, you know, as Heinz, hope to be a big part of, of doing that. Well, speaking of Houston, I did my first business trip, you'll be happy to know, two weeks ago to Houston, uh, Laura. And my gig was at a place called the Armadillo Palace. <laughs> I know it well. <laughs> I think the best part about it is it it literally has a giant mirrored armadillo out front. So it really could not get um, any more uh, Texas in a stereotypical way. I'm glad you made it there. Yeah, well, a mechanical bull would have made it slightly more Texas. But that aside, you're right. So, Emma, five years from now, looking back, what do we see? Well, from a property management perspective, I hope we've been part of really leading the operational ESG agenda. So I think we've got a huge opportunity around the world to really positively impact um, ESG goals in all of the assets that we manage. And we're really going to be focused here at CBRE and helping our teams do that with our clients. And I think big areas of focus are going to be, you know, continuing the tenant engagement conversation thinking about advances in technology and how we can deploy them and also continuing to push the possibilities of supply chain, thinking about the traditional elements, if you like, but also thinking about things like diversity in our supply chain. So as an organisation, we've made a big commitment around our supplier diversity targets and continuing to play our part in helping make that happen for, for CBRE and our, our wider community. And ultimately, all of those things adding up to giving our people around the world just a much greater sense of purpose in their work, which I think is the big opportunity that we all have in um, grappling with this ESG agenda. Great final words, Emma. And on behalf of The Weekly Take, I want to thank our friends and clients from Heinz, starting with Laura Heinz-Pierce, Senior Managing Director at Heinz. Laura, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Thanks, Spencer. Thank you, Laura. And Steve Luthman, Senior Managing Director of Heinz. Steve, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Spencer. And last and certainly not least, our friend and colleague, Emma Buckland, Global President of Property Management CBRE. Thank you so much to all of you. It's been great. For more on our show, our guests, and the topics we covered on this episode, check out cbre.com slash the weekly take. We'd also love to hear your thoughts. So drop us a note with your feedback. And whether you found us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or another platform, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.